very special guest today, the wonderful Keith Harker. Keith. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being on the show. Keith is a vocal coach uh, for a very long time and also works with bands including Munyon, Mo in the merch realm. You could find him on tour uh, all around the country. I've been waiting to have him on the show for a while. Keith, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Happy to be here, Steiner man. How you doing? Doing good. Um, a friend of mine was tour manager and photographer for a, a metal tour not too long ago. And if that merch person didn't slam the first two shows, I think they did like, I don't know, $20,000 in merch sales, like the first two shows in total, you know, not one day, but like that was a number that was supposed to be predicted to be like $6,000. So when you end up say 28, Oh yeah. So when you end up having a, a, a poignant merch person that can hold down the fort and bring in the money, all of a sudden now you have a whole freaking bank account that has flexible funds in it. Like about half of that goes back into the reinvestment for the inventory, which means you're still sitting pretty at like $14,000 that you can use however the hell you need to, to make that tour float. So right. if the first two shows you didn't have a specific lighting designer and you had, you know, house guys do it. Now you can afford to bring whoever the fuck you want on the road. Yeah. Uh, and like on top of that, if you want an army of photographers and videographers to make a reproduction or media for that event, boom, that helps. That helps your production value. That might be able to help you sell more tickets in the future. But it really just comes down to the fact that you need the money to pay the people to do it. And sometimes the door fee that you get when you play shows in certain places just doesn't, doesn't cover it. it. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I know I haven't been saying much, but circling back on it, but you know, you don't need much when it comes to merch. You just need to have enough items to make people sit and puzzle for a moment or two. And if you have, you know, this is free advice to everybody. This is just me helping. Um, if you have an item that people will buy regardless, then you're already winning. Here's my hint to any band that will listen, have freaking koozies and have freaking lighters. You have those two items, you will walk out with like $400 a day for literally no reason. Dude, koozies and lighters are so important. There's koozies, lighters, stickers. My fiance um, has two drawers of koozies. So I know there are other people that collect koozies. I, I've got similar degrees. I yeah. get a koozie <laughs> at every show I go to. I mean, I love magnets. I love stickers. I right. love pins. There's a reason. So we actually just got um, at the time of filming this, our very first ever secondhand talent merch has landed. Heck yeah. Um, see if I, I've got one. Oh, here we go. I got one. Nice. I need to start looking into that for my darn self. Oh, that's such a cool patch, dude. Patches are dank. Right? Nice. So we, we've got, we just did a, uh, we did a super small run. Shout out to Laurel from uh, Bayleaf Studios for putting those together. We just nice. have, I think we we numbered and signed them all. We have 10 with a purple border, five with a white border, and five with a black border. Um, and we've got Mife Designs uh, making some pins for us. Nice. Um, and, you know, those are items that, are usable it's like similar to a koozie or similar to a magnet it's something like a pen you have it on 
And that's also free advertising. Right. And that's so something that I, I, I actually just had a conversation with somebody not too long ago. Um, and that was what I really brought up is like a big important fact about merch is like in the, in the grand scheme of things. And at the end of the day, if it's between getting your merchandise out there and netting like a hand over fist profit, your merch should always just get out there. Like yes, a suggestion to a lot of bands that I have is have an item that you can give people to sweeten the pot whenever they're being assholes. Yes. Um, Cause I can't tell you how many people will come up and be like 25 to $30 for a t-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, you've gone to Kohl's before, you know, the t-shirts are 20 to $30. Like it's so not, you're wearing a box logo, Supreme, like t-shirt right. like like what are we god forbid this was here? the affliction t-shirt era whenever them suckers were like 120 dollars a pop yeah and people wearing them will come up to you with their rhinestone blue jeans on and start freaking out about how much your hoodies are and i'm just like i don't know what to say you know uh uh we had a a, a north face merch item uh, for one of the bands that I've worked for recently and I love them. I think that they're great. And the best part is, is if you know anything about North face, the price that we're charging is like nothing. So whenever yeah. people come to the yeah. table, they'll be like, you know, $125 for a North face. I'm like, bro, have you ever, bro, like, really like, have you ever North faced like, before? Because 125 bucks and you get the band logo on it. Like you're basically like it, just buying a North face anyway. You're not even spending money for the embroidery and, and, and no tax. No. Like, exactly. I mean, like, and no tax. And it goes to support your band. Like, oh, my God. The worst thing. So many pluses. <laughs> yeah. You know, and here's the thing. Uh, another, you know, a distinction about merch, you know, get based on kind of jumping off of what you were just mm -hmm. saying. Um, it is different for. You know, we, we sometimes refer to bands, especially in the jam scene and being in, what the tears yeah. the tears yeah um i mean we were in the jam scene we refer to it a lot first tier second tier third tier yep. right like i'm a ninth tier jam band why isn't my show sold out right <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is you know when you're going to a, a fish show right right whether or not you buy that poster is not necessarily going to affect the bottom line. But no. when you're going to see Kitchen Dwellers or Munion or Sacred Hollow or any, or, you know, yeah. bands that are not in that, you know, a stadium sellout here, it really does make a huge oh, difference, yeah. not just in the financial bottom line, but these bands care about their fans. They care yeah. about their fan base and right. to know that their fans want to represent what they do in their daily lives. Right. You know, it, it's, it's a good feeling. I think that's a brilliant, um, actually, I'm just going to shout out another Facebook group, uh, the dish pit kitchen dwellers, uh, of all like the fan groups on Facebook. Uh, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lurking in a fair number of them, but one of my favorite ones is the dish pit. Cause Man, like I've seen straight up people just ask for personal help in there. And like people come out of nowhere and just be like, yeah, man, like I'll give you a call just to talk to you. And like that's that's the type of community that, you know, when people weirdly enough, I get a lot of people asking me like <laughs> advice for bands. And I'm like, I'm just a merch guy and a voice teacher. But at the same time, like the big advice that I can give people is to create that community behind you. So I mean, and that's really what it comes down to in the grand scheme of things is when you build a good community behind you, you basically can have a guarantee at places, you know, when you're cracking into new 
you know, new new ventures, new avenues, new markets. Thankfully, the kitchen dwellers have been doing, you know, East Coast crap and as a Montana band, that's like huge. Um, but the fact that they have like a surrogate home in Western Pennsylvania now, you know, like that's that's massive. Are they capable of playing to rooms of 10,000 plus people? Absolutely. But but that's like a once every four months thing whenever Billy Strings decides to be super badass and let anybody play with him on stage, you know, right. instead of him sitting in with everyone else, because that seems to be the new theme right now. Hashtag yeah, shout cool, out, Billy. Congratulations right? <laughs> on your marriage. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but all those things that kind of go along with it is just, you know, uh, you, you build something around the overall meaning of the band and the kitchen dwellers have never been shy about how they feel about, you know, folks that suffer through addiction or people that just need that community. Uh, and, and that's something that the dish pit, as far as like fans and representation is concerned, is actually like properly represented. Like that's actually how I how I Torin and I, when we met, that's how kind of how we bonded um, was through talking through the music of wise river. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a brutal album. If you listen to dude, it, and <laughs> you know, I, I sadly, I, I've, I've lost quite a number of people this year. Um, and that album. I know it, you, it, I know it, what it, you mean, man. Like it helps. I yeah, mean, it, it, it really does. And, and it's the strangest thing, but like, you know, you get through to the end, you know, and into their names are the trees. Yep. And you're just like, oof, this catharsis that that comes through it. It's similar almost into the way to the, the catharsis I felt when I saw Ghost of the Forest. Right. It just, that was also a very brilliant uh, performance, by the it way. Just, just, it's in the album is an experience and having, you know, being fortunate enough to know the guys, you know, the, to the limited extent that I do, like it really makes sense to me that, that their fan base is like that. Right. And I mean, you hear that stuff all the time, like with low fam Lotus has, has a really fun, you know, group as well. And yeah, I do see positivity within it. Uh, and that's not to say that there are groups that are better or not, but, you know, it just really is, it's part of why we like what we like about the music scene. You know, half of us were weird black sheep in our groups of people growing up in some capacity, and we were always just looking for acceptance. That's kind of what we do as humans. And, and you know, when you allow yourself to be part of a society, whatever that might look like, and in this case, let's just say the dish pit of the kitchen dwellers, then sure. like... You know, you do start to embody the overall belief systems, more or less, of of that that quote unquote governing body, like you know, the music of the kitchen dwellers. Like, not to say that it's a gospel, so to no, speak, it's but, an ethos. It yeah, so and it, I would and say it, it just and kind you of resonate like, with it and exactly. And you know, it's also you know what's magical to me about it. Anything music in general, but since we're on the topic of KD, you know, keep talking about that, but. Yeah. It's the way that they it it's so it, it it resonates so well with just life. Like yeah. it's so specific but non-specific, right? At the what? same time, where it's like 
I can, I don't need to know exactly why this song was written the way it was, but right. I feel in my heart. The line that made me feel like that the most weirdly enough, um, is, uh, I can't remember. It's it's it talks about tire tire tracks burning up the back of the mountain, and it's funny because I hear that and like yeah, I'm I'm from Western Pennsylvania, but I'm not from like the middle of nowhere where mm. you can like just drive a fucking truck up somebody's mountain and just tear it up, you know, without much consequence at all. Sure, right. there's ATVs and dirt bikes and crap, but like sure. you can't do that. So there is a total disconnect with a lot of their imagery, but at the same time, there's enough of a comparison and parallel that no matter what version of that you experience personally, it still hits real hard. And, you know, one of my favorite random facts about uh, the kitchen dwellers is everybody in that band writes music for it. Um, Mm. And weirdly enough, one of the Mm. only non singers uh, correction, the only non singer. So, um, Sean, Sean doesn't sing too many featured songs. He'll sing in like group things, uh, but he won't necessarily sing like hardcore harmonies or like have a feature too much. But he writes, man, like the songs that he writes are the things that like always seem to catch me on images. And, you know, shout out, shout out to Joe Funk because Joe writes most of like the nautically themed things, it seems. And, uh, Man, like those those two guys and their songs, like I love every every song Kitchen Dwellers has, but I always find myself kind of really connecting with the emotional journey that Sean or or Joe will, will take me on in that regard. And um, that's also something I give a lot of credit to them as a band as a whole, is they are all very individual people, but they do such a good job at working through a unit concept that... Oh. And they know each other's roles whenever everybody else is featured. Like if Torrin's featured, Joe and Max know exactly what need what they need to do to fill in. Right. They know uh, their own roles too. Exactly. That's the other. And then yeah. God forbid, you know, in most bands, you know, Torrin would be the only feature. That's not the case with the Kitchen Dwellers. Everybody gets featured more or less that is a featured voice, you know. Yeah. Shout out Sean, who's not. Um, but like when Torrin's not up front, he knows what he needs to do when, you know, and that's, that's what creates the level up aspect for me as the voice coach observer is when they don't have to think about things and they can be as fluid and as articulate in their set list design as they have traditionally always been, uh, at least in my experience from since working with them too, is it, it's, it's really humbling. Like I, I get inspiration from watching them do stuff that I apply to everybody else. Um, you know, shout out to Daniel Donato. I've been d- doing some work with him in recent history. And, uh, you know, he's probably one of the only bands other than the Kitchen Dwellers where, like, at the end of one of the first or second sessions, like, I've been like, oh, my God, I am out of stuff to teach. Like, I have hmm. we've gone through a lot of information very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, his outfit is is incredibly skilled. And, and I really give him credit because they lean into the deeper aspects of vocal work that traditionally stays outside of the jam scene. So, you know, when we, when, if we just want to like full circle things and kind of get away from the merch stuff for a moment, like the voice stuff is it's, there's so much potential of it in the jam scene. And it's simply because everybody is a consummate professional musician. Like everybody knows what sounds good. They know what notes are supposed to do what in, in chords and things like that. Why not add complexity to it? Because that's generally why you have a 45 pedal pedal board anyways, complexity and depth of sound. Might as well add a whole different thing to it when it comes down to vocals. You know, big, big shout out to the work that's been done by the Munion boys too. Yes. 
Absolutely. Justin and Joe have been, you know, such good friends of mine for over the years. And with the addition of Grant and getting him uh, a little bit more experience saying and Johnny. Yeah. Their new drummer, Johnny, like, yeah, they lucked out. The harmonies are coming back. And I've been telling them like, guys, you guys hashtag banana man, dude. (laughs) <laughs> like you have the opportunity now to play songs that you haven't played in years. Yeah. Like we, the fact I, that I might see a banana man in like the next year. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's like the only thing I've like, I I'm so glad that they did that at the end of that new year's show, because at least I saw it once I knew it existed. I never saw it live, but I have been holy. begging them. Yeah, same. The last time I saw Banana Man performed, I think, was the New Year's run in 2019. That was the last one. Yeah. And I, that that has been my, I've been. That's your holy grail. And as long as you're <laughs> gold, you can put them into that. It's, it's just my one. It, it Like, it's in, in, in kind of the way, like, you would say, like, uh, hmm. Bird watcher or something like that would be quintessentially fishy, right? Right, 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 right. To me, banana man is like is the 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 mongiest munion. Oh yes, you know that and like sloob, you know, and like sloob is good. I would love to hear scrambled legs live, but I know that's like a borderline impossibility. How about uh, return to sender? Yo, yeah. I mean, that's so. You know, so I, I, I real, real that- talk. Munion's my favorite band. Um, anytime anybody asks me, I'm just like these guys. Um. And it's not to say that I don't know many other fantastic people, but I just feel like when I close my eyes and I listen to music and I not only see people in their realest real form shine through their music, like Munion's it. Because if you ever meet Justin, you're just like, yeah, dude, you're definitely jazz, but you're like the clowniest version of jazz there is. And then you meet Joe and then you're like, as if the first guy wasn't clowny jazz enough. Yeah, there's right. Joe. <laughs> I've been blessed to to know Joe for like 15 years. I've known Justin for a really long time as well. And yeah, you know, that's that's similar to 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 KD. You know, they're just mm-hmm. they're great people. They're down to earth. And what I love, one of the things I love the most about watching them play music is they that 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 knowledge of knowing their roles and knowing yeah. how to you know. Right. They know what their mission statement is and and they're able to stick with it and be consistent. Like, I feel like that's, that's something that bands just struggle with in in general. I mean, hell, like all of us struggle with that as people, like looking at us as, you know, who are we? What, what is our point? What's our thing? What's our personal mission statement and how can we adhere to that? And that's Mm. where I think a lot of the success versus failure in the music industry comes from is this like, flippancy where you think that like oh well this was my happy album let's release a sad album next or like you know stuff as weird and superficial as that can even creep into people's minds and and alter their creativity but you know in my mind all that really comes down to is just like do you believe in it and do you want that to be the case like if 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 you do enough then you're going to have a community and that community will form around that idea like uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite local bands here, um, Broctopus from Pittsburgh. Uh, they're just the, the best group of dudes out there. And like, you know, a lot of just their personalities have affected how I've interpreted how I should do 
merch on the road and like they're just a local pittsburgh band like that's not to say that they're not a successful pittsburgh band but at the same time like you know they're not selling five thousand dollars worth of merch in a day they're not doing this that or the other so like really what what when people when i say this to people people are like well what did you take away from them or learn from them and really it just comes down to the fact that like music is meant for the community and like every member of that band, the moment that they're done, they're going to go off the stage and they're going to shake the hands and they're going to talk to every single person in the audience that like wants to talk to them about stuff. That's the same thing about Stickered Hollow. I'll give them a lot of credit too. They're yes. real freaking friendly dudes. Oh yeah, um, real one hundred percent genuine. And that's exactly what the secret is to being able to not only get out of your hometown if that's your objective, but to create a comfortable existence as a band so it doesn't become a leech on your overall livelihood or your investment, like, or on your uh, mental health. Yeah. Well, most importantly, your mental yeah. health. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, and, I mean, people, you know, it, that's, you know, that, that, that struggle is real maintaining that composure on the road yeah. and, you know, make, you know, working things out as a group, you know, yeah. you mentioned, you know, they worked so cohesively, but they're all still individuals. Yeah. And, and trust me, everybody gets pissed off when you only get three hours of sleep a night for like three and a half weeks. But that's like, you know, this is this is me as a production person's plea out to management. Please, God, route it. So whenever we're out of a venue at three o'clock in the morning, don't make me have to drive nine hours before I can have two hours of sleep in a hotel right. before they kick me out at 11 where I have to drive four more hours to the next you know, right. uh, venue. Yeah, like it's, those days. it's it's just one of those situations where like. You know, if, if very, and this is, you know, one of my observations as a voice health person on a, on tour as well, is like the quality of life stuff is really the difference. And that's where the community really does come out to help a lot of the times. You know, that's why people like me have a merch existence, because like, if the band can show up and not have to worry about merch, and they just kick all the boxes towards this folding table, and they can to worry about the music, but they can trust the money to go to the right place, and they can trust you know, the things to be beneficial. Huge. And like, you, oh my God, like you might as well have cooked a them a Thanksgiving dinner and brought it to them and fed it to them. Yeah. Cut up the food person, you know. Peace of mind is worth more than any anything money can buy. Especially in the music world because yes. you have 45 minutes of free time even though you're at the venue for seven hours. You know, if especially if you're a band without a production crew because you're doing it all. You have to set up, you have to yep. tear down. If you're an opening band, you have to set up and tear down twice that day because the and main, fast. yeah, the headlining band has to sound check too. And they only give you like five minutes when you're done with yours to have, be ready for your next one. And, you know, it's just these weird little small facts that anytime I do one of these podcast interviews, I always end up dropping one or two like little hit bits of reality for the fans that that go to see shows like you got to be aware that when that band goes up to play that three hour set at the end of the day they've already been doing shit for like 11 hours whether or not that's like you know yes. eating food or taking yes. a nap like those are rare occasions where you get to do so in a in a scenario that is actually conducive to relaxing most of the time Absolutely. it's just like the van rolls in you have a you have a meal, so you have to eat. Then you immediately, when you're done with that, you have sound check. When you're immediately done with that, you either have you know dinner or something else. Like, God forbid, your merch guy walks up with seventy five fucking posters for you to sign, and you have like you know twenty minutes before doors, and all five members of the band need to sign it and stuff like that. Like, it can be chaotic and stressful, and that's that's still those are weird little small elements that just take your head out of the game. So there's a lot to appreciate behind the scenes and just with the daily existence of 
being a musician in that scene that makes your concert happen. Like it's a, and, you know, you know, and it's a lot. Tying it all back into what we said at the very beginning, you know, one of the reasons I think that this platform is, is so important is that, you know, the casual fan that goes to a show goes for the spectacle, which, you know, they paid for the ticket. They, they're going to a show, right? But there's not, not even really a consideration for everybody else. And, and the, you know, having been, you know, a performer for 17 years, but having also been a festival producer, event manager, production assistant, road manager, stagehand, merch develop, you know, I've, I've done everything. And the amount of stories, you know, like yours, the amount of like, uh, relate, uh, relatable experiences, the, deeper understanding of what happens you know outside of just a concert that it's not just a three-hour work day like getting these stories out there to me is so important because it does go towards building that community of not necessarily just one fan base but across you know music fans in general like giving people a window into the insight a window into you know kind of what the day-to-day is like and what uh, how hard these professionals actually work to you know for for no recognition their name is not on the marquee the we, we all know that the band gives kudos right when credit where credit is due but i have felt that we really need a space where you know, those people who work so hard for, for our benefit, you know, as attendees to this concert deserve to get that shine too. And that's kind of, you know, why this is all even a thing. Right. And I know that you just had one of my good friends on not too long ago, Adam Berta. Um, He's, uh, he's just the man. Uh, Weirdly enough, both of us took I, I kind of jokingly call it like the plunge into idiocy at the same time. Um, but both of us seem to have found our feet pretty quickly after making that decision and shout out Cam, uh, Cam Elkins from formerly weird music podcast. I, I think he actually just launched his own thing uh, recently as well. Um, but all three of us seem to have the same stupid ideas at the same time. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I feel like, has started to change since we've entered the scene too, is like, there is a little bit of recognition for these things going on. Like I definitely don't think any other scene has that much of a, uh, a care for who does the lights, but gosh, darn, we've got like celebrity lighting designers in our scene and, yeah. you know, hundred percent. Well, I mean, you know, um, folks um, stay tuned. Cause in two weeks, you know, we've got an interview with Ellis Goddard from Mockingbird Foundation. And if I had to say who is secondhand talent, it's Chris Kuroda. Right. I mean, if I had to put a name to it, you know, like the, the, to the point where, you know, we call him CK5. He's like considered a member of the band, <laughs> you know. And if you've been to any of the shows on these recent tours, you know, it's just reinforcing that year after year after year. Yep. Um, but like, <laughs> There are so many people who tour with fish besides for Chris that make that show incredible. And, and, and right. they 
should get that shine too. Right. I completely agree. And that's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say that I've followed probably more fish social media posts this year, ever since Trey started doing like the whole, what the hell are you doing thing? Uh, and I love those reels. I think they're great. And uh, yeah, he's our only sh- competitor. Yeah. And sh- shout out to their voice, uh, to the guy that was doing voice with him too. Um, yeah. A large reason about what got me into doing what I'm doing is hearing a rumor that Dave Matthews has somebody like me that travels with him constantly. And I've kind of had him as my inspiration for like the past 20 years. And wow. I'm, I'm not exactly the biggest fan so much of Dave Matthews's music as far as jam is concerned. I know he kicks ass and I've got a lot of family friends that love him. Um, but it was just such an eye-opening experience to me to know that somebody like him cared enough about his voice to have somebody whose sole responsibility is to like basically listen to his performances and write notes and critique that he goes over and listens at the end of every day. And that's something that I, I guess in my pipe dreamy, you know, and lofty goal kind of situation. Like that's what I'd love to do. I do that a little bit unofficially with a lot of people, but at the same time, it would be really cool to do that very, very directly with a smaller number of people. Yeah. I was going to say like on a more like one-to-one personalized basis, as opposed to just kind of an on the fly type. Right. Like uh, it's, it's kind of funny. And I know that we're, you know, we're doing a little wrap up here, but, um, Whenever I teach, I teach like in the same scenario. Like when I teach people from like my local community, I'm still sitting with the same background behind me. And when I work with like professional musicians that are on tour, I'm still working with them with the same background behind me unless I'm on tour myself. So, you know, it's one of those situations where like thanks to technology, I am a lot more accessible. But I feel like people, especially performers out there, seem to think that you need an awful lot more to get the the benefit of, of working with somebody like me. Like you don't need a full hour. Like at the very least, like mm, yeah. what we need is sequential time. Cause right. if you're on it's, tour, yeah, give, yeah. Me, give me 15 minutes a day over the course of a week. Straight up. As and opposed like, to like one hour now, because oh, absolutely as a former teacher, everybody's just like, because you got to practice makes perfect. Right. Got to be. And if we're trying to make a build. Right. And if we're trying to make a health change or something, beating yourself up or doing something intently for an hour is not going to translate to the stage immediately. So if we only have like one topic or one thing to to think about, um, like this is why I, I try to advertise myself to people that I am available while they're on tour. People do hit me up, but it's generally, I'm going to say whenever it's a little too late and they're looking for my advice to help out in a deeper regard, but we can stop y'all from just getting there. If you call me like the day you have the suspicion and let me listen to it, Um, we can put that, you know, into a 10 minute time period, which 10 minutes ain't nothing in the grand scheme of things. And it's also so much at the same time, right? It is impossible to find a full hour. It is not impossible to find 15 minutes when you're on the road. And that's just really what it comes down to prioritization. And if you do that for four straight days, then I almost guarantee you whatever we work on, we'll be able to make it to the stage by the fourth or fifth day consistently. But like, you know, if I could do that with, with every band that I've ever worked with, then we'd be dealing with a whole different problem in the jam scene other than people singing approximate in, in pitch and stuff like that. We would be critiquing something else like the merch lineup (laughs) or or what else, what else they have on the table. So 
you know, it, it really just comes down to the perspective of the scene as a whole and like where they really see the value coming in because people in the jam scene, and this is me throwing everybody under the bus. I love you all of my friends, but this is me throwing you under all of the buses. Uh, anytime that you ask them what they do, none of them will say they're a singer. Mm. You know, they'll be like, Oh, I'm a guitarist. Oh, I'm a keyboardist. Oh, I play mm. stand up bass. Like, no, nah, dude, you sing too. Like, right. Put that as a label on your resume. Like you yeah. are allowed to. And when you start to own it like that, all of a sudden the confidence starts to be there. Yes. All of a sudden the other things start to be there and you start to just trust yourself more with what you need to do. And weirdly enough, it's, it's, it's funny because if you sing, uh, let's call it approximately for so long, when you sing correctly, it's going to feel wrong. Yeah. It's like, it's, I was like, I it's sing, new. therefore I am, or yeah. I sing, I sing, therefore I can. Exactly. And like at a certain point, once you go back through it and you put it under the microscope and kind of shift it around a little bit, then you can go, oh, I was only doing like 30% of that right. Was it good enough to sell it as a jam band? Yes. But do you want to like, you know, let's, I'll use Goose as a reference. I was trying to not, but Goose uh, sounds good. Like they got great harmonies and they dig into those harmonies. And yes, sometimes they use auto tune, which yes, ruffles some feathers, but I'm just going to say it is a creative paintbrush that makes sense. And it works for them whenever they use it in harmony or whenever they use it as a feature, it has its effect that still has that filling sound. But if you're not goose, how can you become appealing? How can you stand out? Upping your vocal ability and doing something unique and cool with that is massive. Um, I, you know, I don't want to give anybody away, but I know one or two of my bands has, have been asking me how to do more single microphone performances, which means like more barbershop acapella performances. And they're not a acapella group for shit. They are like, sure. They're playing rooms of 2000 people and they're just trying to do, they want to come out and do hello, my baby. Um, Yes. (laughs) Like, and the weird part is too, is like, that's one of those things that like, if you do that for an audience, uh, they won't know how much they want to see that. The moment that they see it, they're just going to be like, what was that? Yeah. Like, and you know, my, my hilarious anecdote for that is the first or second music festival I ever went to. I went with one of my members of my acapella group and it was electric forest. So you can tell that that's like a, not, it's an EDM and crazy fancy jam festival, not like a, an acapella group from college kind of situation. It ain't Rothbury. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure one or two of your listeners will respond, well, Electric Forest went to die in 2013 um, or something like that. Yeah. In 2009. Hashtag, 2009. Hashtag Rothbury. Hashtag Rothbury. Yeah. Um, but we used to sing like random acapella things when we were like walking to the front gate and it took us like the first thing we ever did it, which was the second day of the festival. I distinctly remember like stopping. We like we got stopped by like a group of like twenty people, and they just made us sing a cappella. And mind you, I'm a bass and he's a tenor, so like there was a whole lot of open, non-real yeah, music open going on. Vocalic ranges, right? But it was that. it was still yeah. cool enough that it just made everybody care about it. It was weird as shit, and definitely the number one thing I was not predicting. For that experience, you know, I was expecting everybody to just be like electric music festival. But to be perfectly honest, like I still talk to some of the people that we met from doing that. Uh, You know, it's first music festival building that community gets back to exactly what you were talking about and and making sure that people have fun doing what they're doing. You know, like this is a job for all of your favorite bands. It is exhausting when you see 45 different venues on a tour. 
I promise, after like the third one, they all feel the same. Some it's that trait sometime after sunset, right? They all yeah, become the it, same. Yeah. Yeah. And uh it, it's 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 one of those things where like if there was at least that amount of self-awareness in the fan base, then like there would be so much less stress for bands. And like they would just have so much more fun out there and everybody be having so much more of a fun time. But when the audience comes up with expectations for the band or things like that, then not only do they start to disappoint themselves because that's what happens when you create expectations that are unwarranted by facts, but it also just makes it something that the band is constantly needing to compare themselves with. And that's not something that needs to happen. They just are supposed to be up there and play music and have fun, just like you're supposed to be there and listen to their music and have fun. So it's it, it, it while bottom line and business and merchandise and all that stuff is part of the real conversation. Like the real reason why we all do any of this is because we fucking love live music. We just want to be there and chill out and like, you know, have somebody help us navigate some feelings every now and again with the power of their lyrics or their melody lines. Or if you're like me and my relationship with Munyan, you just have Sam Edwards slap on some crazy rainbow strobes and you're two feet away from <laughs> Justin's face and you turn around and you realize that you're just a puddle of water. And then at the end of it, you just become really great friends with everybody involved in that scenario. And that's basically the rest of your life. But that's how community can be built in this music industry. And if you are, you know, not crazy or not like bullheaded or, or, or just at least self-aware, we're going to circle back to the whole self-awareness thing. Yeah then you will be able to find a way into it if you want to be into it. And, you know, that's kind of where, you know, my mission statement for my merch thing is, is I don't want it to be cut off from anybody. Like, yeah, it does kind of matter how you maybe write your, your resume and how we interpret it and stuff like that. Trust me, the more professional, the better, but it's just like, you know, we, we don't want to stand in between you and, and doing it in the industry. We just want to provide you the education and the knowledge that you need so that you can do it. And it's, so you can succeed. Yeah. it's it, and, and trust me, I did not think that I knew what I was doing for the first six years of doing merch. So give yourself the forgiveness of time and patience and you never know what can happen. Like I'm working with literally the two bands that you listen to if you pop into my car and ask me to drive you somewhere. So like, that's kind of cool for me. I love that's, that a I lot. Think, <laughs> I think that's an awesome lesson to, to, to finish off the, uh, the interview on uh it, it keith i think we could we could probably keep talking for uh for <laughs> probably hours. brother i feel like it's been a catch-up year <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously seriously well i i can't thank you enough for for being on the show and uh i'm sure we'll see you back on here again soon absolutely um, brother check out all keith's uh links and work and stuff in the description uh, down there and uh, for secondhand talent this is steiner and we will see y'all next wednesday catch you guys peace